Wonderful. Great to be here. Great to be back in Hawke's Bay. And uh, I've just had a busy time away. We've been up to Kevin Liu to minister in his church and encourage him to come down to ours. So I've got him signed up for coming in February, which is very good. And we had a wonderful time and uh, God's presence came. And then I spent about a week uh, doing rewriting the Freedom Retreat. I wrote seven, wrote, uh, rewrote seven papers and wrote one new one. So uh, we've really been busy for this last week. But it's all good. All good when you can focus on something and not get interrupted, isn't it, eh? And I wanted to share something with you. I want you to have a look in your Bible in Matthew chapter 22. We were sharing a series on the extravagant love. And we start off with the love of, love of God. We looked into it. We'll just start up where I was at. And then I want to pick up and just uh, do something to, to get you to think about your own inner life and, and uh, how to actually uh, change on the inside. In Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40, we read this. Jesus was asked, teacher, what's the great commandment of the law? And uh, he said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And so for three Sundays, we shared, first of all, on God's extravagant love for us and how we can connect by faith to that. Second one, we began to share on how to express love to God, various ways we can do that, number of ways we can express our love to God. And that love needs to be expressed. You can't just have it and not give it away. Doug was talking about that today, about having lived in a family where there was love in the heart, but no expression. And this is always a problem if there's no expression. You don't know how to interpret no expression. And uh, then we shared also about uh, how the Bible tells us to keep ourselves in the love of God. And we talked about what kinds of things can separate you or take you away from experience in walking in that love, and then what to do about that. And uh, I want to pick up now the next verse. And it says, now, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Notice he says that uh, we're to love two people. We're to love our neighbor and we're to love ourself. And the word as in there means in the same manner as what is following. So let's read it again. Love your neighbor in exactly the same way as what follows, the way you love yourself. Now you can understand then, if you have difficulty loving and valuing who you are, you will have difficulty loving people. In fact, one of the foundations for properly building relationships is that we have a true sense of value, a clear sense of identity, and that we can actually love and value who we are. If you don't like who you are, what are you going to bring into a relationship? If you are hiding on the inside because you don't like what you see, what are you going to bring in and give into that relationship? Because people will connect with you and they'll connect with what you communicate. So Jesus makes it very clear, love. That word love means to hold in extremely high regard, to treat as something precious. How about that? Hold yourself in very high regard Consider yourself to be something very special or very precious. Treat as a special prize. Also means to take pleasure in. And then an interesting thing, that we are to treat ourselves as a special uh, treasure, consider ourselves that way, to particularly value, place value upon ourselves. In other words, we are to properly treat ourselves the way God wants us to be treated, the way he sees us and treats us. And this forms a foundation then for stepping out into the world of relating to other people. 
So if you have a very low esteem, a very low value on yourself, if you have a lot of unresolved issues about yourself, they will all defile relationships you have when you step out to help other people. Now God's calling the church, calls every person to serve. Love always serves others. But if you're not happy about who you are, you'll use the serving as a way of fulfilling an unmet need inside. So God wants us to place value on ourselves. So I want to focus today on as you love yourself. As you love yourself. So what do you believe about yourself? When you look in the mirror and you look there and you look at that person there, what do you think? Quite an interesting question to ask. You know, a lot of people don't like what they see. In fact, they don't look at the mirror too long. They're trying to change everything straight away. See, what, what do you, when you look at yourself, do you like what you see? Are you happy with what you see? Or are there much unresolved conflict about who you are? If you have a lot of conflict about who you are and what's going on inside your life, you will have major issues in relating to people and also in loving your neighbor. Because everything you do will be affected by the way you see yourself. This is why we had a freedom retreat. It's why we have restoration retreat. It's why we have courses like search for significance. There's a reason for it because you need to get to grips with the, tr the truth as God sees it about who you are. To be freed from defining yourself by the experiences you've had or by the way people have treated you. If people have treated you badly, you come to the conclusion, I must be a bad person. People abuse you, you come to the conclusion, there's something wrong with me. Now, if you walk through life and there's something wrong with me, and you've got all this, you're going to actually have a very big challenging time building successful relationships. Because you don't know where you start and where you finish. You don't know what's yours and what's someone else's. All your relationships will be affected by that. And we'll show you how just as we go through. So we want to talk then about properly loving yourself. And I can't sort of do it all in one session, but we'll have a go at laying some foundations. So the first thing to look at is, uh, is where do you find your value as a person? Where do you find your value as a person? Your sense of esteem and your worth. Well, you're either going to find it inside you on the basis of what God says about you, or you find it outside you. So your value as a person, you're either going to find it and establish it internally based on, by faith on what God says, or you'll try and establish it outside yourself. Uh, let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, if you try to establish it outside yourself, you, you think something like this. When I've got a, a lot of money, therefore I'm a very important person, or I'm very valuable. But of course, if you've got a lot of money and your value is based on your money, and your money falls over tomorrow, then you are in a problem. Because your value is attached to your money. If you uh, value position, and so uh, a lot of your struggle in life is to get recognition and position, and having a position and a title is a wonderful thing, and then that position, uh, you lose it tomorrow, where are you going to be left? You'll be very hurt, very angry, and you'll have a lot of issues internally. And people do this. They use possessions, they use property, they use their, uh, their, their positioning, they use their uh, all kinds of things people use. Uh, performance. We work hard. If I work hard and do it perfectly, I'll be valuable. Now, people, when people think this way, they are wired for failure in their relationships because they're trying to establish their value from what's outside them rather than having it firmly established inside them. If it's outside you is where your value is found in success, 
in family and marriage and every other kind of thing, when that goes wrong, you've got major issues inside you. But if your value is established inside you, you are able to enter into relationships and be much more whole and much more able to enter into great relationships. So we need to base our value on what God has to say about us. We need to base our value, our esteem, the way you see yourself. You need to base it around what God says. This is what God says. There are two, two aspects of God's value on us. And here's, here's why you're so valuable. I'll point out to you. Now, I don't care whether you've got a problem with alcohol, a problem with pornography, a problem with drugs, a problem in your marriage, a problem with relate. It doesn't matter what kind of issue you've got going on right now. I can tell you, you are still valuable. And here's why you're valuable. It's got nothing to do with the problems you have in your life. That's all about your performing. It has to do with what God says about you. Now, here's two things that God says, and then the Word of God says. Number one, in Genesis 1, 26, God made man in his image and likeness. You are a spirit being, an eternal spirit being. Everything you see around you is going to pass away, is going to disappear or change, but you have an aspect of you which goes on for eternity. Therefore, you are more valuable than anything around you. You are valuable because you're made in the image and likeness of God. You are a spirit being. Of all of God's creation, human beings are spirit beings. We're uniquely made to represent God on the earth. You are valuable because you're a spirit being, because you're made the image of God. We think, well, yeah, yeah, but what about sin? You know, sin came in and messed it all up. Yeah, but think about this. A car that's had a bit of an accident is still a car. And if God created you in his image and likeness, and sin has come in and marred it, and all it's done is damaged you, but you're still made in the image and likeness of God. It's just you're damaged. And you have to come back through relationship with Christ to be restored into what he intended. So we find, you find your value. Now, if you, to find your value that way, you have to begin to meditate in that and begin to start to draw from the word of God the reality that I am loved by God because I've been made in his image and likeness. He loves people. He made us to enjoy. So I'm a person that is lovable by God. Not because it got everything right inside me, but because God is loving and he loves me. I'm a lovable person. See? And so maybe I don't get on so well with people. I've got some glitches in my character. But it doesn't stop the truth, the reality, spiritually, is I am absolutely, totally loved by God. And so are you all the time. It doesn't change. Sin didn't change it. God just provided a redeemer. Here's the second reason that you are so valuable and so important and such a precious, uh, uh, unique person. It's found in 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. It says, we are not redeemed by things uh, which are corruptible, such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now here's the second reason that you are so valuable. It is because of the price that God was willing to put on you. Now, it says silver and gold. Well, if we had a bit of silver and gold, we'd be really happy. We kind of like the silver. Give me the gold. Uh, give me the gold. We kind of lovely to have a bit of gold. I like gold, you know. But, but, but the Bible calls it corruptible stuff, you know. Heaven's paved with it. It's just the, they use it for the roading up there. You walk on it. See, that's how important it is in heaven. See? But he says you were purchased or redeemed. That means someone paid a price to get you out of captivity, and it was more precious than all the gold. There's not enough gold in the world to pay the price for you to be redeemed. It took 
God himself to come down from heaven in a human form and to give his life and shed his blood. And that blood is precious. More than all the gold. More than all the silver. And that's the price he put on you. You see, you, you know, you have a look at some, uh, I see, you ever see that roadshow auction thing they have and people bring out their junk and then the guy goes and has a look at it and what looks like a piece of old junk to you and me and the guy says, oh, well that one there is worth about 4,000 pounds. What? How can it be worth so much? And, it, and you think, how can it be worth so much? Because someone's willing to pay that much for it. Must be valuable. Oh, I didn't think much of it, I would have thrown it out, there was old junk. And it's true, people do that. They don't understand the value of things. Now the value placed on your head if you were wanted alive is the blood of Jesus Christ. You are valuable because of that. So if you meditate in those truths and start to separate your value from being around you and what you own and what people say about you and what you're doing and start to begin to internalize through meditation as we've shown you that you are valuable to God because you're a unique spiritual being. Absolutely unique. There's no one like you. You're a unique production from heaven. An eternal being with an eternal purpose in God. How more valuable can you get? So... So while the people down there don't think I'm very good at work, they don't think much of me, okay, that's, that's their, they're entitled to their opinions. That doesn't change spiritual reality. So you have to build a foundation in your life uh, of spiritual reality, who I am, what I am, what I am, what God says. Well, I don't feel like it. doesn't matter what I feel. What God says is the truth about me and you. So we need to, to get into that. So see, what do you base your value we have to base our value on what God says. We need to learn to get inside us the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The almighty power of God is in my spirit. I am joined to the eternal God. I need to become conscious of that. So my value continually is referenced to what God says. Now that provides a tremendous foundation for you to live out your life and to engage relationships. We're going to get a little more specific soon because there's some things you'll need to get onto. Now, so we need to base ourselves on the Word of God. Now, the word humility, Bible humility, means to agree with God. So to be humble, biblically speaking, doesn't mean you're not bold and strong. It doesn't mean you walk around, oh, oh, you know, sort of, that's what we kind of think it means. But humility, biblical humility means I agree with God. If God says I'm an overcomer, I'm an overcomer. If God says, I got it in me to win, I got it in me to win. If God says, I will agree with God. If God says that's sin, it's sin. Now that's humility agreeing with the Word of God. That's why you cannot just live your life from experiences. You must have a foundation of the Word of God that develops your experiences into some substance in your life. So many people just live out of the latest thought that come into their head. They don't ever stop to think whether that thought was God or not. You have to have the Word of God to be able to do that. See, so, so and I want you to have a look at this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. The Bible tells us something the way we're to think about ourselves. This is good. You'll probably think of someone this applies to. Here it is. It won't be you, of course. And, uh, but you know someone here, I'm sure. The moment I read this verse, you'll think, oh, I know someone like that. For I say through, verse 3, Romans 12, verse 3, I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to everyone the measure of faith. Okay, let's go in there. Notice the word there is to everyone. That is everyone here included or are you excluded on that one? 
Okay, he says here, I'm saying through the grace given to me to everyone among you. This is for everyone. And here's what he's saying. One is a don't do and the other is a do do. Okay, so the don't is don't think of himself more highly than he ought. How about that? In other words, to overly be opinionated about who you are, to have, an, have a picture of yourself that's way out of touch with reality, all puffed up, a lot of wind and not much substance. So don't be puffed up in your mind thinking about yourself. And so, in other words, having wrong value. Now, you see, you've got to think, well, what do you really think about yourself? What do you think about yourself? See, usually the, the thoughts go into one or two extremes, neither of which agree with the Word of God. So you can call them both humility, although they, both, both of them you can call pride, even though they look different. So you, you know one form of pride, and that's the superiority, arrogance, better than that. And when you're with someone who's got that arrogant pride sort of thing, actually what you know is they're, they're full of, they don't feel loved. They're trying to whoop, 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 puff up a bit, trying to impress everyone. And when you're around someone like that, they look like they're very big and you feel like you're very small. And they may puff up over their money or puff up over business, puff over all kinds of things or ministry, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's all a smokescreen for a very small person. But they puff up because they're projecting out, I'm very important. Well, see, if you're accepted in the eyes of the Lord, you don't have to prove to anyone you're important. Why are you going to all that effort to let everyone know how important you are? Must mean you don't believe you're important. And you need them to say, oh, you're important. Thank you. It's what I needed. Why? Because it wasn't internal. That's, what, that's the problem, you see. And so that's a, one form of pride. And of course, people like that are preoccupied with themselves. It's all about me. Huh? And not only that, they're insensitive to others. And they tend to invade and go in over everyone's boundaries and injure them. So you can't think like that and have good relationships. Because you've got a trail of destroyed people behind you. Or dependent people. You think you're wonderful. That's what happens. Okay, and the other side, of course, is which is a very common one in New Zealand, is the, the issue of inferiority, which is exactly the reverse. But inferiority is I believe I'm inferior to everyone. If I believe I'm inferior to others... So, so as I stand beside you and I look at what's very good in you and you're so good at this and I feel so bad at that. Now, what, what is my reference point for my value? Is it inside me or outside me? It's outside me. I've compared myself unfavorably with you. So people either compare themselves and puff themselves up or compare themselves and don't need other people or they compare themselves and judge themselves. Usually if we compare, we take the strongest thing in them and match it with the weakest thing in us and we come out bad. Well, not much good. Now, you see, now you understand, this is not humility. This is actually pride because it's still got you preoccupied with yourself. And you can't form good relationships like that if you have low esteem. You actually have to agree with what God. So what people like that are like is they neglect themselves. They despise. Some of them even despise themselves. Some people even hate themselves. I was talking to one person, and when he got into huge stress, he'd start to hit himself. I said, you've got major issues from your family background of self-hate. So when conflict comes, you're beating yourself up because you believe you need to be punished. 
Where'd you get that from? You didn't get that from God. Someone told you that. Someone treated you that way. Now, a lot of people who are in church who are Christians who are believers carry all this kind of baggage. And so they're able to experience God when there's a strong anointing present, but not easily walk with Him. They're able to enter into relationships, but not hold them because these issues keep coming up. They're not resolved because their value is, not, is wrongly measured. It's measured by what experience told them, their family background told them, or other people told them. And in the end, no one told them the truth. You've got to get what God says. And so that's why you get into these courses. You, you know, I've had to face many things in my life, still facing things. Things that I believe, which turned out they were not true. You know, things about myself, I believe. I thought, actually, it's not true at all, but I believed all my life and it's affected my relationships. You have to repent of those kind of things. And they're strongholds in the mind attached to a hurt and emotion. You've got to pull it all down. Why? Because you've got to love yourself as God loved you. Because why? Because you've got a mission to have to go out into the world and minister to people. So you need to allow God to get in and work in your life. Because God is not just wanting us to win the world and influence the world. He also wants us to become Christ-like, to become whole on the inside. So Jesus is the model. So we'll look at that in just a moment too. So we're getting the idea. So of course, if you, if you uh, on the one hand, if you've got superiority, which is one form of pride, you walk all over people, invade their boundaries and hurt them. If you've got inferiority and rejection, then what happens is people walk into your life and walk over you and hurt you, or you become dependent on people. Either way, you don't have a healthy relationship. And when you come to serve people, you get burned out. You get burned out because you're in it for the wrong reason. You need to get something back instead of just seeing serving as something you do as an overflow of your life. See, Jesus came to give his life, not to be served. So when he approached people, he approached, there's needs and I can help. He didn't come thinking, listen, I need you to worship me. So I'm going to do a big thing and die on the cross, then you'll have to. There's nothing like that. He just loved people and ministered to people and served people. Why could he do that? Because he was very, very strong in his personal identity. He could, he could withstand the crowds. He could withstand even his closest people leaving him. And he said, you'll all leave me, but I am not alone. My Father is with me. See, he's defined in his identity around a relationship with the Father. And you have to build your life that way. That's why you have to build a God-centered life. Otherwise, everything else falls over when the pressure comes up. Now, notice what it says. Don't think more highly of himself than he ought, but think soberly. That's not a bad word, sober. Because any of you who've had a drinking problem would know what that means. You know when you're sober, and you know when you're drunk. When you're drunk, you're under the influence of another thing, and you stagger around, and you have poor judgment, and you, may, you fall. You make a lot of goof. You wish you'd never done these things. Next day, think, oh my God, did I do that? Oh. See, your judgment is impaired. You make poor decisions, and you have no balance when you're under the influence of a drink or under, under the alcohol. Notice it says, think soberly or think with a sound mind. Now, how do you get a sound mind here? According to what God says about you. So when you believe what God says about you, you're thinking soberly. When you believe all that other stuff, you're under the influence of another spirit. You're drunk under the influence of something. And so you speak and act crazy. That's why relationships get in so much trouble. People speak and act crazy. They think weird things. They perceive things. You know, they're having a few drinks. And, you know, you start to even see things that aren't even there. Well, you know, when you're under the influence of spirits, 
you see things that aren't there and they look like they're real, but they're not there. They're all in your head. And so that's why you've got to, as he says, think soberly. And how do we think soberly? Soberly means I agree with God about my value. I'm very special. I will treat myself like God treats me as something special of value, uh, of a highly, highly prized possession. I'll treat myself right. And this is based on faith, what God says. Now, so I need to read what the Word of God says and meditate on that. I need to listen what the Holy Ghost says. And sometimes God speaks to you through people. He gives you feedback through people. And He says some good things through prophecy that encourage you. And He says some other things that help you realize where you need to shape up because you're not coming through too good. So God's got a lot of ways of talking to us. We need to get faith in our heart to believe God about our life. Isn't that true? Now, here's another scripture now. Because sometimes you find scriptures seem to be quite contrary to one another, but they're not. It's just a matter of getting the perspective. Look at this one, the Philippians chapter 2, and it says, verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. Now notice he starts up by saying, he's talking about pride, thinking of yourself the wrong way. He says, don't do things out of ambition. Ambition means I'm driven by my personal desire for fulfillment and I'll use you to get it. You can't build well that way. He's saying, don't do, don't do anything out of that motive. And he says, but rather do something different. He says, he says, in loneliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than himself. Now, you think now, well, what's that about? Well, this is what it means. It means, first of all, get a good grip on your own personal value. And when you've got a good grip that you are valuable, then when you see other people, they're really valuable too. And lift them up and put them higher than you so you can serve them. In other words, have a good value on them. Place value on other people. But of course, if you don't have personal value yourself, you'll have trouble valuing people. You tend to end up and you're using people to build what isn't being built into your life. So we need to place a right value. Jesus had that kind of right value. So let me give you some key aspects then of actually a way looking at loving yourself. Loving yourself. Remember, love your neighbor as yourself. It means to regard the welfare of, to hold in high regard, to treat as a prized possession. Let me give you some very practical things. And uh, they're quite simple. And actually Jesus operated in all of these, every one of them. So we can too. Here's the first one. First one is you need to discover who you are. How can you turn up in life and really enter into good relationships? You haven't got a clue who you are. So what do I mean by knowing who you are? Well, you've got to know what God says about you, first of all. Otherwise, you live out of your life before Christ, full of condemnation, guilt, grief, disappointment, sadness, sin, accusations, all that kind of stuff. You've got to know what God says. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. I'm an ambassador of heaven. I'm a representative of God. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I've got to get that into me. I've got to discover the, what the Word of God says about this new creation man that I am. Otherwise, I'll live out of the old creation the way I used to be. So because we've lived that old way so long, it's like a default setting, and every, you just go back into it. But God wants you to shift, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as I renew my mind with what God says about me, then I'm beginning to discover the new man. But there's other things I need to discover as well. And they're quite a practical sort of thing. You need to discover uh, what, uh, not what, just what God says. You need to just find, what are you, your feelings? Do you have feelings? Are you able to identify your feelings and own your feelings? What about your thoughts? Are you able to identify what your thoughts are? Are you able to, you know, this is what I think, this is the, what about your attitudes? Do you know what your attitudes are? 
because these are the things that will govern how your life goes. Do you know what you like, what you don't like? Do you know what desires you have in your heart? Do you know what dreams you have in your heart? Oh, I just want to serve God. And listen, but God's put some dreams in your heart. What are the dreams he put in your heart? Serving God will outwork what he's put in you and the way he's wired you. You've got to discover those dreams. What do you really like? What do you really hate? What gets you fired up with passion and energizes you? What drains you of energy? You start to ask these questions. You begin to discover who you really are. A lot of people don't ask that. And then they're always living in a vagueness about what they're really supposed to be doing with their life. Usually these things show up very young and parents can help you. What are your values that you live by? Do you have any things you value? Now, we need to know what, we need to ask these kind of questions. You ask these kind of questions, you discover what you are. And what you find is some of your thoughts are good, some of them are not so good. Some of your feelings, you need to work out how you got into that state. But in all of it, you need to actually bring these things by the Word of God and allow the Word of God to be the measure as to whether these things are come from God or come from just out of your old life. It's not hard. A lot of people, every thought that comes into their head, they think it's God. It isn't always. It comes from the devil sometimes. It comes from your old life sometimes. You've got to actually run it by the word of God. And so Jesus made it very clear in speaking. Now here's an interesting thing with Peter. One minute Peter's getting revelation. Oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Next minute he's saying, pity yourself. And Jesus rebukes him and said, that's a devil. You're a, the devil's manifesting through you. How could he shift from one to the other like that? Because he never filtered his thoughts with the Word of God. Never actually thought through what his thoughts were and maybe where they're coming from and whether they need to be changed. So he just reacted naturally. So one of the ways we discover about ourselves is and uh, discover who we are. We begin to discover what we're good at, what we're not so good at, what we're gifted at, what we're not gifted at. This is an important part of your life, discovering these things. Discovering how you're wired, how God has set you up. And when you discover these things about yourself, then the things that need to change, you can begin to work on them. Things you need to develop, you can develop. But if you don't ask these questions, you don't know what who you are. And a lot of people live their life completely covered over. So you never know who they are. And sometimes they don't even know what's going on in their own life. They're frightened to ask the questions because some of the feelings that might come up are so bad, I can't do that anymore. Why do you work so long? Why do you work so hard? Why are you doing this? What is motivating that? What is driving you that your whole life's out of balance? You work like that. What is driving you to that addiction? What is going on? Who are you? What is going on inside you? you see, these are questions you ask. Can you discover about your inner life? And some of the things need healing and restoring. The interesting thing is, good and bad, God loves you all. And he's able to live with the good and bad and help you journey through. He'll just accept you and give you grace and then help you grow and change. But if you don't actually... Look into these things. You never know who you are and what kind of person you are. Hey, you all got so quiet. Well, there you go. Second, I need to learn to communicate that to other people. You need to communicate who you are to others. And John, uh, first of all, uh, sorry, I didn't give a scripture. John 13 verse 3, it says that Jesus, knowing he was come from the Father, knowing he went to the Father and what the Father had given him, then he served. He, become, he washed the feet of everyone. Isn't that amazing scripture? He knew his identity. He knew exactly who he was. He knew his value. And knowing his value, this is what his value was. He came out of heaven, came down on the earth. He gave away all his glory. He was, the, he was the creator of it all. And yet he came along and washed people's feet. How can you wash people's feet when you're so important? Very simply, he had a good esteem. He found it in the will of God and in his relationship with the Father. And he could then serve people. That's why you've got to get whole on the inside. 
in your thinking. So you need to also communicate. In John 6, verse 63 to 66, Jesus said a few things, and the crowd left him. They walked away. They just rejected him. But you know something? He communicated truth. He communicated his values. He communicated what he believed. He communicated. And then people could choose. Take it or leave it. Many of them left it. Some of them said, well, well you got the words of life. We'll follow you. So many times Jesus spoke things. People didn't like them. Some loved it. Some hated it. But he did speak it out. He had the uncanny knack of speaking up and speaking out. And everyone, he, was a, he actually catalyzed people wherever he went. Now, of course, most, most Christians... We like to be too nice. We don't want a lot of um, upheavals or anything around. But you read, look in the concordance and find how often, again, there was division because of him. There's something, he said, I come to bring a sword. So in other words, he brought a word that would cause people, you know, sometimes whole crowds argued over him. Some say he's the son of God. Some said he's the devil. There was always arguments going on around. Why? Because he lived his life out there and expressed and shared and was quite open. He even was open about his feelings. He openly shared his feelings and he wept. He was really sad at the death of Lazarus. He shared his grief. I need you to come and be with me. I want you to be with me in this moment of darkness when I, when I go to the garden to pray. Come and pray with me. So he was very, very, he able to speak out what was going on in his life and what he, what he believed. So if you're going to do that, you have to learn to speak differently. So you need to say things like, I think. Well, this is what I think rather than, well, lots of people think. Is that right? Lots of people think that. I can't work with lots of people. Unless you're in what do you think? But lots of people is a way of not saying what I think. See? So you've got to start to learn in your communicating to actually start to be more forthright who we are. I think this. I feel this. I'm disappointed in this. I'm struggling with this. I need this. I desire this. This is my goal. This is my dream. No. I can't do that. Yes, I can do that. Yes, I will. No, I won't. Now that, that kind of language articulates very clearly who you are and where you live. When you do this, this is what I feel. This is how it affects me. This is all uh, communicating in a way that brings you right out front and out in the open. Hard to do, isn't it, eh? But that's part of loving yourself. See, if you love yourself and have proper value on yourself, You'll learn that you just can't conceal who you are, what you believe, what you have, and what's going on. You can't conceal it. Or you then find yourself struggling. You're dishonest. There's one world out there and another world inside here. That's not loving yourself. What happens is you start to melt down with the struggle of living an outside life and a different life on the inside. So you have to, loving yourself means I actually have to value what's inside me and I have to learn how to express it and communicate it to the world around me. Here's another thing then, and that is uh, you need to invest in your personal growth. In Luke 2, verse 42 to 47, Luke 2, 42 to 47, the Bible tells us Jesus was down there in the temple at 12 debating with the teachers. Now, how could he debate at the age of 12? Simply, he'd spent time memorizing scripture over the, all the years up to 12. He'd memorized possibly the whole first five books of the Bible, which is many of them did. And then he was entering into discussions and debates and whatever with the religious leaders. But here's the point. He was growing and developing. He invested in it. He spent time there doing that. Then Luke 2.52, it says, He grew in wisdom and stature and the knowledge and, uh, and the favor with God and with man. So he did something. Now, you, if you love yourself, invest in yourself. It doesn't mean buy a big screen TV. 
To invest in yourself means to develop what you've got going on inside you. So if you've got a musical gift, go get some teaching, training, learn how to develop the gift. If you've got a calling to do something, then invest in the training needed. If you're going to get married, invest in learning how to communicate. Why? Because you'll need to. You'll have a miserable future if you can't. A lot of people, they just all get thinking about the wedding day. They'd listen, the wedding day's one thing, but having a marriage is a completely different deal. We really want to have good marriages, not great weddings. Great weddings are wonderful, but you know, tomorrow you wake up and oh my goodness, what's happened? Very true. The fog clears suddenly. It's a different. <gasps> what was I thinking? I didn't know that about you. No, all is revealed now. More than you imagine. <laughs> See? So, so your skill. What about developing your character? What about getting in a group where you, you work on character growth and you become accountable? That's an investment in growing your character because you grow that, you become capable of carrying things more in life. What about your skills, very skills you have? What about education? A lot, of, a lot of families don't value education. Education is very valuable because if you invest in yourself, you actually, in, what you do is you take the potential and you enlarge what you're capable of and therefore you improve your value to your employer. Think about that one. So if you want to really be on a track to success, you make growth, personal growth, is a lifelong journey. You never stop learning. And not only that, you put that value in your children. You value education, not as an end in itself, but as a way of developing and calling forth the potential that's inside. That's loving yourself, isn't it? Oh, you're thinking. Yeah, we're all thinking. Hey, we're all thinking. Yeah, we're all thinking, aren't we? Thinking, God, I wish I'd heard this 20 years ago. <laughs> well, I wish I had too. I haven't thought about this for a You know, this, coming to, this is the first time I've ever taught on this. It took me a lot of time to get this thing clear in my own head. Love yourself. Oh, no, loving people. Yeah, that's what, love yourself. What's that about? It's quite hard to get a handle on that. It raises some issues then, isn't it, eh? Oh, move on, next point. Uh, you'll take personal responsibility for your choices. If, you, if you're going to love yourself, you must take responsibility for the choices you make. And uh, you find in John 17, verse 4, at the end of his life, Jesus said, well, Father, I finished the work you gave me to do. He set his priorities and his choices around fulfilling God's call in his life. So there were lots of pressures. There were lots of things he said no to. He took responsibility for his life. He made choices. Now, one of the things, we live in a victim culture where people would rather blame someone else for why they are where they are, like they are, in having the experiences and feelings they have. So you may be feeling terribly frustrated. Well, it's, this is to blame and that's to blame and all kinds of things. Hey, listen, that's all outside you. You're going to change what's inside you. You've got to make choices about what you'll do with your negative feelings. Well, you made me angry. Well, yeah, that may be right. Maybe I pulled the trigger, but you know, you're the one who's got the bullet. You know, you're the one who's fired up. You're the one who has the anger. What about actually coming to groups with that side of it? You do it all the time, you know, or regularly. You nut off, you know. So face what's going on in your life. Take responsibility rather than blaming someone. Now, it's easier to blame than it is to take responsibility because as soon as you take responsibility, then now you must do something about your life. 
It's much easier to blame someone for why I am like I am than it is to take responsibility. And yet if you love yourself, don't play the victim. Because if you play the victim, you're powerless. And then you get resentful and your, your life is messed up. That is definitely not treating yourself well. If you're going to treat yourself well, it's very valuable, then take ownership of all that's yours. In other words, whatever's yours, take ownership of it, and then you're empowered, you can do something about it. That's loving yourself, taking responsibility. Now, of course, the thing is that you'll find if you give yourself to discovering who you are and you begin to find lots of things, then when you connect with people, you're really interested to find out about them and all the things in their life. Most times we just ask, what do you do? And we define people by what they do rather than actually finding who they are. Uh, so, you know, if you're able to communicate who you are to others, you'll also probably be able to listen and find out from others what they have to say about themselves. If you invest in your personal growth, you'll be interested in investing in the growth of others. If you make decisions and, and you take responsibility for your choices, then it's likely you'll hold others to account for their decisions. You'll relate differently. If you are a victim person who doesn't take responsibility for your own choices, you're not likely to hold anyone else accountable for theirs. So you'd be out of control. You'd be in a powerless situation. The last one is we need to learn to set limits or boundaries. You need to learn to set limits. If you love yourself, you have to set limits. There are limits on what you can do. Set limits and set boundaries. Boundaries are what you let come in. So if you have a house, you have a property, most of you got a property, know that if some strange group of people step across that property line, you're going to be concerned. Why? They were fine walking down the street, but when they crossed over that property line, they're in your property. Now there's a possibility it'll affect you. Now you have ownership. You can do something. If something goes wrong, uh, you know, your grass is, you can cut your grass, don't have to worry about the guy next door. Boundaries are very good for defining what we're responsible for, what we're not responsible for. Jesus put limits on things. He said, no. Mark 1.35, they came to him and they said, listen, we're having a great revival. Let's get out there and do some more, have these more miracles. Lots of people here. He said, no, I've got to go to another city. I've been up praying and my father's given me different directions. Uh, in, Luke, uh, in John chapter 11, they said, hey, Lazarus, your mate's uh, dying. You better go over and, and, catch, and heal him before he gets uh, to die. And he said, no. How many times did Jesus walk in and out of the uh, temple and pass that man who was crippled and never healed him? See, he didn't do everything. He actually defined his life around what God had called him to do and then set boundaries. And he lived within them. Interesting, there's one place in the Bible where the disciples were going too busy and they had nothing to eat. And he said, let's stop and go aside and let's begin to have time to eat and refresh ourselves. Put boundaries around the ministry. And help them put the boundaries as well. So, what an amazing thing. You need to set limits. Now, if you can't set limits on yourself and boundaries on yourself, you won't set them on anyone else either. It's part of loving yourself. When you love yourself in these kinds of ways, it affects how you relate and what kind of relationships you build with other people. You could make some changes, I'm sure. See? If someone's irresponsible, you have to set limits. You have to say no. And there's consequences for your behavior. And when you do that, you're loving and valuing yourself. When you don't do it, the irresponsibility comes in and evades your life. Now think about this. Uh, if you were to get involved in serving and helping, and suppose uh, particularly get involved with some, uh, uh, some drug addicts or some alcoholics or some gang members, the first thing you'll discover with them, if you haven't already discovered it, the first thing you discover is they have no boundaries in their life and their life is out of control. There's a chaos. See? They don't like themselves and they're medicating the condition rather than solving the problem. 
and so their life is in chaos, no boundaries because they have no value on themselves. So they can't form good relationships. Now here's the thing, when you start to serve them and help them and they come into your world and you go into their world, what happens is their world threatens to engulf yours and absolutely bring chaos unless you can hold boundaries. See? And one of the problems people face in wanting to reach out to the world is you've got to be able to define who you are clearly and strongly and then hold boundaries that you hold other people to. Otherwise, their problems will engulf you and your life falls apart and you can't hold together your, your marriage, your finances, anything. Everything falls apart because you're trying to do some things in the name of Jesus. It looks good, but it's chaotic because the chaos has come out of a, an internal wiring that's not right. I need to do this so I'll feel good about myself. And you can't be motivated by that. We're moved by the love of Christ. He loves us and we're valuable. And as we become whole, we give more and more. And we learn how to build better and greater relationships. We can serve much better. Where our capacity grows much more. How many felt God speaking to you this morning? Man, he spoke to me. I was pretty wiped out by my mess. I've been up since two this morning, over and over and over and over. And I'm thinking, oh, my, oh Jesus, help me. Then I repented. It was good for me. Good to repent. Good for us to repent. Why don't we just close our eyes right now? Perhaps there's someone here today and you haven't even opened your life yet to Jesus. The Bible tells us that God loves you very deeply. Doug was talking about you being so very loved by God. You know, it is true. He loves you. And it's something you can experience, very tangible. But the way we experience is when we, the first way we experience is when we come into a meeting, we sort of feel that something's here and it touches us and maybe we feel a bit tearful. It's just the Spirit of God. But the reality is this, that you are separated from God, that God is on the outside of you, not on the inside. And that's because you're living your life without God. But Jesus made a way for you and I to come near to him in a very simple way. He said, everyone who believed in him and believed that he died on the cross and rose again, believed that he died for our sins. Every person who put their trust in Christ and gave their life to him, he gave them the right to become a child of God. I wonder if anyone here today just already and right at that point of decision, I want to become a Christian. I want to open my life to God. Why don't you just raise your hand? Let me know if that's the case. Just put your hand up so I can see. Is anyone here today just at that point of making that decision? receive Jesus. Anyone here? Just let me see. God bless you, dear. Anyone else? Anyone else here today? Just at that point of decision. Very important decision you make. It doesn't, it's not what other people think or feel or anything like that. It's just whether you will open your life to the goodness of God and receive Him. Is there anyone else here today? Just raise your hand. Anyone else?